with Meow Wolf, like looking at collaborating for, you know, 10 years with some of the same people and a, a lot of other people mm-hmm. to like, you learn that it's the disagreements that create it. It's that friction is the diet creates that dynamism where something really interesting comes up. Mm-hmm. It's like, otherwise we would just all be by ourselves working on our own stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's in the dynamics of, those diverse perspectives, which always create friction, mm. that like re- something really good, something really interesting pops out. Mm. It's that collective intelligence, and you can't really mine that collective intelligence without being comfortable with the with the with the friction. You're just gonna get tired and give up. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom where I interview creative people about their meditation, mindfulness, and yoga practices, and how those practices help them to tap into creative flow on a daily basis. Today I interviewed Corvus Brinkerhoff, the CTO and co-founder of Meow Wolf, a fascinating art exhibition in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that is best described as a psychedelic art playground with traces of Burning Man and Disneyland thrown together. He has some powerful things to say about how to stay creative and the role that mindfulness plays in creativity. We go deep on this one. If you like this podcast, please find us on iTunes or Stitcher by searching for Crazy Wisdom and hitting subscribe. We also have audio on SoundCloud. Thanks, and have an amazing day. My name is Corvus Brinkerhoff. I am one of the co-founders of Meow Wolf, as well as our chief technology officer. And how long have you worked at Meow Wolf? We are uh, 10 years old, almost exactly to the day. Uh, yeah. And um, I guess we'll just get right into it. How has your mindfulness practice evolved as you've been creating this constantly evolving project? You know, it's evolved a lot um, because we started this when when I was in my early 20s so I've really grown up in a lot of ways I've grown up with Meow Wolf Um, and so every all of my like all of my personal growth you know over the last decade has been in or around Meow Wolf you know so it's it's been monumental. I mean, I just look back on like where I was 10 years ago and, and where I am now, specifically around, um, I, I don't use the word mindfulness, mindfulness a lot in my vocabulary, but um, how I relate to that, like my ability to um, be present in the moment, my ability to be the observer in myself and not just the doer or the the the, the, the reaction to the circumstance but to, to be quietly observing myself um i've evolved you know tr- tremendously in that re- over the last 10 years i don't think that i would be able to do what i do without it uh-huh. um, there's too much there would be too many friction points you know that would be overwhelming 
So when did you start? Uh, did, when did you do? You, when did you start your formal mindfulness or meditation practice? Uh, I first became really fascinated with meditation uh, in college. Mm -hmm. That was my my introduction. So it was through some friends who were like, basically, you know, doing a lot of experimentation. We were experimenting with like psychedelic substances. We were experimenting with um, who we are, who our, what our identities were, what what it meant to be ourselves. And we were experimenting with, I was experimenting with meditation and learning how to be quiet mm -hmm. in a way that I could then really listen to my world and to myself in a, in a much deeper way. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first time I meditated, I had these moments, these kind of insights. So there were these kinds of messages that were waiting for me there. And it was mm -hmm. super powerful. And, uh, and, and, and from that moment on, I, I felt like, okay, I get it. And the only instruction I had was a friend of mine was like, <laughs> it was very, there was no instruction really. Like, we were both kind of experimenting around it, and um, and he he said, you know, I, I read something about meditation that it's really about focusing on your breath, mm -hmm. and like that was it. That was all. That that was all I had to go on. Um, but that that's all I needed. And yeah. and to this day, like I have a lot of different things I've done, different like approaches and structures. Um, to meditation that I've tried on. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, like it all comes back to that starting point of just like focus on my breath, let let my mind kind of unwind until I reach a quiet place. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that, yeah, and that that the breath is so key to the meditation practice because it's always there. So it's like you don't need anything extra. You've always got your breath. You can always be, oh, I'm on an inhale or I'm on an exhale. Um, and it seems to be the connection between a lot of different mindfulness practices. Like if you take, if you go look at Tibet, their mindfulness practices, a lot of those beginner practices start with the breath. And then if you go to Thailand, the same, same thing. Um, in Indian yoga practices, it's all about the breath. So it's, 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 I think it's a key point you bring up. Um, do you practice yoga as well? Um, I haven't been since actually since you were in Santa Fe and instructing me. Huh. Um, that was the, the, the first time I, I felt like I was working with an instructor that I, that the intention behind the practice was the intention I had for doing it in the first place. Mm. Um, the yoga I've been exposed to has been like more like exercise yeah. yoga and I, I really liked it. Yeah. Like it felt really good, but I always been like, I was excited about the state of mind I was in afterwards and oh. just wanting to sit and breathe and be present with that mm. state of mind. And to me, that was the point. <laughs> um, and so I, I haven't been super attracted to it um, recently because I feel like I haven't I haven't found the right the right people, um, except for except for when we were working together. Yeah. 
I know that I know they're out there too. I you know it's it's also just that like it hasn't been a huge a huge priority for me yet. Uh-huh. Um, I'm still learning how to uh, how to balance things like the the track that we're on right now with Meow Wolf. Hmm. Um, like every little bit of like personal life kind of balance and self care uh-huh. that I can carve into my schedule feels like this monumental win. Like an expert. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, we're also um, engrossed in this work. It's so demanding. Yeah. And it feels like we are kind of still at the beginning of this monumental scale opportunity. Uh-huh. And, you know, after 10 years of trying to prove that that opportunity existed uh-huh. at all, yeah. um, and then to have it coming coming to fruition, it's like, it's so easy to just throw all yeah. of yourself into it. Yeah. Um, so I look forward to like, to, to, to finding a lifestyle that has more space for me to to do yoga and to do like just more self care in general. Mm. Uh, it's definitely still a, a struggle right now to, to find that time. And that's that's it's key because it's so like this practice is so important to be able to remain make good decisions. But in those times where you've got so much going on, it's the hardest thing to do to get that motivation to really set out a formal practice. And that's why I think these kind of like in the moment informal practices become really important. Um, so totally. just like, yeah. Do you have any of those informal practices? Like when things are Absolutely. getting Yeah. Well, can you explain some of those? Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I rely on those, you know, and in some ways, like, I feel like that's the, if I'm, if I'm a, a student, of this this kind of realm if i'm a student of learning hmm. how to be kind of my best self my most authentic and peaceful and joyous self like the the way that i'm studying that right now is more in these moments hmm. it's in the it's, it's like how do i maintain a certain mindset even when the moment itself is extremely challenging mm. um, and that feels like really significant work to be doing right now um, and maybe maybe completely essential for me not to like completely lose my mind <laughs> like um, and let the moment kind of overtake me or something but yeah so I have a number of kind of tools that I use to that end um, I have, I've gotten really into this idea of environmental triggers, mm-hmm. which is a kind of like marketing psychology term um, where you, where you intentionally leave like a mark or a symbol that mm-hmm. causes people to remember something mm-hmm. or to think of something for their mind to flash momentarily onto that thing. So like a lot of, marketing you know they're doing that to try to like yeah, empower their brand or sell and sell stuff but we yeah. can just as easily use that same psychology to attune our consciousness to things that we want to huh. attune to so i wear um 
I wear this little, uh, it looks like a watch. It's actually, it's called a score caddy. And it's a really simple little rectangular brass um, watch looking object. Most people just assume it's a watch at first glance. And actually, it just counts. Um, it just counts. You, you press in this little button and it clicks over a digit and it counts from zero to 99 and then it starts over. So there's just two digits. It's a very simple device. And I use it to count um, times that I think of something that I want to remember, that I want to encourage myself to be attuned to. Um, and so it acts as an environmental trigger where whatever I'm counting, then when I look at this watch or think about it, it reminds me of that thing. So I'm not just counting it with the watch, I'm also reminding myself of it with the watch. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I choose things, um, you know, I choose things that are like, that are empowering, that are, that get me centered and grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, for a couple of years, I was just counting whenever I took a moment to take a deep breath and just be really present mm-hmm. in the space and the environment that I'm in and just kind of let like whatever gears were turning in my mind just let them like slow down or stop for a second. Mm. And I would count that. And then throughout the day, I'd look at my watch and be like, oh yeah, now is the perfect time <laughs> to be completely present and just take in this moment. Mm. Um, but I, I recently changed that. Um, and now I'm counting something that's a little bit more personal. I'm, I'm happy to share it, but it's mm. like, I've been doing a lot of work in internally understanding the purpose and value of the less pleasant you could say like the dark sides of my personality um so specifically when i'm like triggered like emotionally or when i'm feeling really anxious or nervous about something um you know those are aspects of myself that in the past I tried to submit it and um, and in in turn really didn't respect Mm -hmm. those parts of myself and now I'm working on well how can I just acknowledge it and just understand that like any negative or positive emotion has a purpose it has yeah it, it has value and the more that we ignore those like the more distorted that whole value gets and that relationship gets and it becomes very repressive. And so I'm now I'm focusing on moments where, and counting on my watch, moments where I just acknowledge like the presence of some negative yeah. feeling in me and just, just acknowledge it, just appreciate that it has purpose and that it has value and that it has the right to be present. Mm-hmm. And doesn't need to be like pushed, pushed down or, or repressed. And that's such a common thing um, in, our, in our society where, where we're this whole cult of positivity is just kind of totally to the point where it's, you can't, it's difficult to share these emotions with other people uh, and be like, yes, I am angry right now. I am upset. Uh, and, and, or, you know, or I am sad and depressed. And not, and and that we can't really share this with other people, but that's a key part of being human because we aren't perfect. Uh, we are all fallible, and we all d- 
do shit that um, you know is part of our shadow of the side. Uh, yeah, that's a really important point. Totally, and those there's like there's real strength in those parts of ourselves. Like fear and anxiety is such a powerful motivator. Yeah. Mm. And if you can have a good relationship, it's not a pleasant, doesn't make those feelings pleasant, yeah. but you can still have a good relationship with an unpleasant feeling. Mm. And like, and when you have a good relationship with those things, then you're able to get some of the value out of them. Yeah. And also, like when I feel most anxious, like like everybody, like the biggest fear, like the most common, like fear that people have is fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And the nature of like my job and the trajectory that the Owl is on, like we, I end up speaking in front of groups like all the time. It's just mm -hmm. part of my work now, mm -hmm. and it gives me constant anxiety, and as it should maybe. Mm -hmm. Like that's not that unusual of a thing. Yeah. But when I just breathe into that anxiety and like acknowledge it like and and understand that it has value and a purpose here it it's like that part of myself can just kind of chill out yeah and it, it doesn't go away but it amplifies the more you repress it and ignore yeah. it like the louder it gets you know and so it's actually like it's, it's super empowering to just acknowledge that stuff yeah. and accept it um one of one of my yeah friends. and Go for it. No, go ahead. One of my friends once said that uh, anxiety is excitement without the breath. Um, that's really good. I love that. I'm going to remember that. That's, that's right on. And, and this is what a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy does is basically it reframes uh, uh, thought patterns. So, like, you can essentially say, okay, this, this anxiety that I'm feeling, what, what happens if I view this as excitement as well? Um, and and then it, and then it, and then there's a whole energy into that, which then you can kind of like I found very valuable for public speaking. And man, public speaking, I just I just moderated a discussion a couple of days ago, and it was so intense because it was the most people that I would talked in front of before. And just this one of the best opportunities for mindfulness because in those moments, if you can stay present with the breath and be like, Oh, okay. There's that voice in my head that's saying you are doing something wrong and you are, are, are not, you know, presenting the best self, best version of yourself. You can catch those in the moment. It feels like they dissolve. Um, and they, they kind of mm -hmm. like, they don't, they don't come, they might come back, but they don't come back with, with as much bite. Um, and that's, I found that to be really interesting. Um, totally. Do you? Uh, yeah, and like people that whatever you're 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 speaking about, like carries. I, I really believe that we hear we hear tone and emotion before we hear the like intellectual parts of what someone is saying. Yeah. So it's like you can totally you could be saying the most valuable, insightful, brilliant thing, and like coming from a nervous place and like no one's going to connect with it yeah. or you can say something really mundane and obvious and it's coming from a very grounded place and people are like oh i you know i get that it's like yeah. that that pre you know that emotion like precedes any uh -huh. any like words or intellectual pieces that you sprinkle on top of it mm. do you do anything before you go public speaking do you have a practice that you do 
Um, no, I've, not yet. I probably will. I mean, I don't do a ton of like huge group public speaking. Um, like recently I ran a group, uh, a group discussion. It was maybe a hundred, hmm. 120 people. Um, for the bigger things, I guess we did, you know, at South by there were a couple moments. Um, when I'm, when I'm like preparing for that, it's very much just, uh, about my breath. It's about mm -hmm. being present, you know, and like, um, and, and for me, like preparation is a big thing, like knowing what I'm trying to accomplish mm -hmm. and being prepared for that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely am like very much like a beginner, I would say mm -hmm. like I, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the road, mm -hmm. but I, I feel like I'm just getting started and definitely don't have like a ton of pearls of wisdom <laughs> for, for other people. So, um, uh, so I, I get this impression that you guys started Meow Wolf 10 years ago, that it was, uh, for a long time, it was pretty hard kind of, um, making this thing come to fruition and you guys spent a lot of time doing it you know, making things out of trash and you were creating a bunch at that early stage. Is that correct? Totally. Yeah. 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 You, were, you were actually doing individual contributor kind of work where you were actually helping to create the art um, and the exhibitions and everything. Totally. We all were. That's all. Yeah. yeah. That's all. I mean, that's basically all we did for the first few years. Like mm -hmm. we didn't have any hierarchy. If you were involved, you were, you were making things. Uh -huh. totally. And now you're now yeah. you've moved into more of a higher level strategy kind of making decisions that are more abstract without that individual contributor. How has that evolution uh, followed for you? How, what are your feelings about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's a huge, that's a huge story for me and my, in my life right now. Like um, the, the different answers to that question and how to adapt to that. Um, I mean, so yeah, the, 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 the main story arc is like, is like you're describing, I, you know, I used to be an artist and now I'm an administrator is basically how that breaks down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fortunately the work that we do as a company mm -hmm. is so insanely creative wow. that I don't, I've never felt a shortage of creativity in my work. Oh. Um, there's probably some people that have, that's also something that I've like really fought for. Yeah. Um, but it really like, I had a pretty profound shift when we started building House of Eternal Return. This was like late 2014. It was the first time that Meow Wolf was my job or anybody's job for mm -hmm. that matter. The, 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 the founders were the first, we were starting to build what would become the team that made House of Eternal Return. And so we were the first six full-time employees of Meow Wolf. Mm. Uh, um, and that was a huge turning point, like in terms of that balance of creativity, like hands-on making things creativity versus another kind of creativity, which has more to do with creating the circumstances and containers that creativity happen within. Mm. And, you know, honestly, like from the outside of that, like before we made that transition, I was really scared about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I thought um, that's going to be really dissatisfying. And I don't know if I want to make that leap completely. Um, 
I did end up making that leap pretty completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I learned is that I am totally able to like channel my creative passions mm-hmm. into a more like structural role, mm-hmm. a more like strategic role, um, and still get a lot of creative satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also had some moments, you know, I had a couple moments in House of Eternal Return where I felt like those are really my projects in a way, even though they were, I was collaborating with a lot of people and I hope they also say they were their projects. Like I don't mean to say to take away any of their authorship, but like my heart was very much wrapped up in that. Mm. And I still got that sense of satisfaction that I get when it's me like changing the room or my hands and like my body creating it. Um, I still, there's still like an immense amount of creative satisfaction that comes from that. There is no replacement in my opinion for the feeling of being by yourself and making something. And I still like, so there's still this feeling of, um, of like, there's still a void around that, that I'm, that I need to reconcile. Mm. And the way that I, the way that I reconcile that in my mind is that it's something that I'll get back to when we get Meow Wolf to a point where, you know, I feel like I can take a little bit more space away from it. Um, Mm. You know, so it's like, it's not, it's not a hundred percent that transfer of like creative energy to a more like administrative role or strategic role. Isn't, it's not a perfect transfer. Mm. Um, it's surprisingly satisfying uh-huh. and I still have like this piece of myself that I have to figure out what to do with. It's like, uh-huh. I just, you know, there's nothing like being in your studio, in your space, like creating and, and just letting something come out of yeah. uh-huh. n- nothing, you know? Do you, do you dance at all? Do you have a, do you dance? Do you have a dance practice or? Uh, I learned to waltz for our first dance. I got married in October. Uh-huh. <laughs> we learned we learned the waltz. That was that was really fun and super eye opening. I was like, "Huh, I could totally go to dance classes and like and like connect with this." Mostly, dance for me has been like you know a party thing, like yeah. like mm-hmm. staying up all night, and like Drinking. you know, yeah, we'll use be a lot more like underground and the types of parties that we threw and I used to like dance you know I'd have nights where I just like danced all night and had this like super cathartic relief Uh, on the dance floor that's why I brought it up was that your explanation of uh of that being in the act of creation reminds me a lot of when I'm dancing and I just let you know it's not really me moving my body my body's just moving to the dance and the kind of separation between me and the outside world falls apart i also get in basketball it's also this creative flow it's that state of creative flow um how how would it went in this administration role how do you what do those creative flow state looks states look like or are they similar to that individual creative flow you talked a little bit about that but do you experience creative flow in your in your daily life as an administrator as a founder um i do it's like i would i'm really like making a bid to have more of it right now mm-hmm. um you know i had a moment we're working on this project in vegas and there's 
there's this uh, anchor space in there, which is basically our word for like one of the main, they're the largest, they're the most complex. That, you know, they'll, they'll probably be like at least 50 people collaborating on it, maybe a hundred or more. Mm. Um, these are our kind of bread and butter. Like the most impressive things we make are usually anchor spaces. Mm. And I'm like, I'm creating, you know, this, basically this script for how this projection mapped room is going to evolve over the course of 30 or 40 minutes. And it's all based on existing imagery. Um, it's this very psychedelic experience where the audience goes from a kind of natural environment and then slowly descends into like a deep psychedelic space. Mm -hmm. And it's all done with projection mapping. And I spent about two hours kind of creating the script, which is basically pulling a lot of inspiration imagery from all over the internet and then sequencing it um, just into a large doc, like multi-page document. And like, man, I was like, I had some great music on and I was like deep. I was like really feeling, feeling it, you know, it's like mm -hmm. very connected creatively. Um, and then I haven't really had a moment like that in the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I hadn't had a moment like that um, for maybe a month or two before that. So they're, they're pretty few and far between. Um, mostly I get that creative flow feeling when I'm working with a team and I feel like we're really on the same page and, um, and we're like pushing something forward. We're developing an idea and like setting some big gears in motion. But then it's that usually the people on that team that end up taking that yeah. little momentum we built and actually like exercising that and deepening that. And so I'm like context switching all day mm -hmm. and I just get like these little bursts and then I jump and I, and then into another context. Um, so you're, so that's, you're essentially setting the conditions for the creative flow to then come out of other people, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which is like, there's a, a feeling of, uh, efficacy there that yeah. is mm. super exciting creatively, like to be able to set all these things in motion and then they're just like going and I come back and, and check on it a week right. later and it's, they've made these like brilliant things. Uh, and taking things so much further than I could have on my own, like uh, super exciting. But ultimately, yeah, man, I'm trying to, I'm in transition right now into a more creative role. I think all of us are. Uh, um, like all the founders, we started out, you know, and when we started really building the company Meow Wolf, which started at the end of 2014, uh -huh. um, the question was, what is the most valuable thing that I can do? Like, that's the question that I live by. I think that's the question the founders had to live by. And it wasn't necessarily what's the most creatively fulfilling, mm -hmm. what's the most exciting, what's the most joyous mm -hmm. thing I can do. It's what's going to give us the best chance of this thing surviving because we knew that the odds were completely stacked against us. I mean, it, I think it's a total miracle <laughs> that we've made it this far. Um, but now that we're doing well, we can ask different questions. You know, we can say, my, my question right now is, is what's going to make me most joyous on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, that's what I'm trying to tune my lifestyle to. Um, what's going to give me joy, you know? And that's what... So, and, it, but... Go ahead. Uh, and that's what... 
I've been figuring out in my own life is that the more that I find joy, the more effective I become in my life. Um, so, so it seems like when I fill my own cup up, then it kind of just sprouts out naturally. I don't have to try. I can just kind of like, it just comes out of me, um, which I find really valuable. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, that's, I, I believe that a hundred percent, we can only like, we can only give in a really powerful and, and sustainable way uh-huh. when we're com- completely taken care of. Like when, when our, when we've given to ourselves everything that we need mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. censored and healthy, then we can truly like, then we can truly share, you know? Um, I totally, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like building my, I'm like aggressively building my life around that concept, you know? I'm, I'm like thinking, you know, I just got married and bought a house and we're, we're like pretty ready to start having kids, you know, whatever ready, ready means in that context. Um, and so I'm like trying to, I'm trying to prepare myself for that. I'm like, I, I'm going to have to be not the most important thing in my life. You know? Interesting. So how do you, and this might come up uh, with kids and everything like that it seems that friction is an important part of flow, that there needs to be times of friction in order to kind of almost set the conditions right for the flow. Um, How do you deal with those friction states? Or I mean, even maybe not even dealing with them, but just bringing awareness into them. Um, What's your relationship to these friction states? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been in a good place. Like the, the friction used to overwhelm me, you know, and I'd get like really depressed. Mm-hmm. I would like just kind of, it would like, I'd fall into a downward spiral. Um, and I learned in that time that there's, there's always a purpose to be, to be had from those times. There's always like something to be learned from that. And then, and then, you know, not coincidentally, it's when I start seeking that purpose mm. and those lessons, mm. when that spiral starts to stop and turn mm. around. Mm. And so I don't, fortunately, like I've been able to keep myself in a good way. Um, for I think the last time I really went in deep into one of those was like four years ago. Um, so now I have a different relationship to the to that friction. Like it's also less scary to me. Mm-hmm. I just know that there's something here to learn. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lesson in this. And when you I don't know with with Meow Wolf like looking at collaborating for you know ten years with some of the same people and a lot of other people too. like you learn that it's the disagreements that create it. It's that friction is the diet creates that dynamism where something really interesting comes up. It's like, otherwise we would just all be by ourselves working on our own stuff. It's like, it's in the dynamics of those diverse perspectives, which always create friction 
that like re something really good, something really interesting pops out. Mm. It's that collective intelligence, and you can't really mine that collective intelligence without being comfortable with the with the with the friction. You're just going to get tired and give up. And that's what I really appreciated in sitting in some of those entire team meetings in, at Meow Wolf was just the complete ability for anybody to speak their mind and bring friction to the table. Um, that was like one of the most kind of powerful things that I got from um, seeing Meow Wolf in action was just this kind of like openness to friction uh, that in a lot of corporations, a lot of businesses, a lot of kind of, it's like, oh no, no, no you keep that shit at home. Um, like, so I, I think that was pretty cool. Totally. Yeah. Well, we, we want to, we want to reinvent what, you know, what does it mean to be a huge corporation? Uh -huh. Like, what does it mean to do business at a large scale in this world? Mm -hmm. Like, and to me that it's, it's all about like, it's our opportunity here to reinvent something isn't just about the art world. It's about like, how do you relate to people? Like we have these crazy ideas, I think, in our culture where um, you're supposed to have two personalities. Mm -hmm. You have your, your personal life mm -hmm. and then you have your work life. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm almost offended by the idea that work-life balance is this like exciting new trope in pop culture. It's like, that should have never been a question, <laughs> you know? And if there, if, if there is a question, I would say put the work life down. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in it so deep that like you don't, you, you feel like who you are in your work life has no relevance sure. to the rest of you, like run, <laughs> you know? like run away. Like yeah. don't, like you'll figure it out. Like don't be afraid of like, oh, I'm going to end up on the streets or something. Just like run the fuck away. And like, and, and start figuring it out. Yeah. Like, I don't know that that terrifies me. Uh -huh. So anyway, I, I feel like we really have an opportunity to relate to each other at Meow Wolf because we're all these like, you know, mm. um, these kind of young inventor archetypes that are inventing this from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Like we have an opportunity to redefine how, how can business be done in a way that really like, respects that everybody here is a human being and is incredibly complex and has like moments of pure brilliance and has moments of utter failure and coming up short and like doesn't always know like themselves perfectly well enough to put themselves only in the mm. position they need to be in to be successful and like that's okay like that's part of coming to know who you are is like is failing and and just like just treat each other like people <laughs> you know uh -huh. like complete people and I, I i find that it's so interesting and valuable that that you guys are doing this and you guys are doing it from santa fe and that's the epicenter of it because it's like for so long now most business has been coming west to san francisco in particular and a lot of tech business and also hollywood um, and it, and it seems like most of the economic creation is, was getting centered here for a long time, but now there seems to be this interesting decentralization that's happening where it's starting to pop up in other parts. And now that, that is where the disruption of this transition to the Silicon Valley has come from. 
Um, and I feel like male wolf is playing a big part in that. Do you um, agree, disagree, or do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, like, questions like that about, like, male wolf's impact on a really broad, mm. on a broad spectrum like that, or I feel so, like, nervous about, mm. like, having opinions about that because I'm kind of right in the middle of it, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't personally, I don't, I don't see like, well, it's just so hard to separate. I see in my life, Meow Wolf and what it represents and its cultural impact is like, it's, it's almost all consuming, you know? So it's really hard to, to like get a perspective and see like, well, how is this shaping other people's thought mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. we we know we know it's happening like we we can see enough of that kind of those ripples and reflections to know that it's like it's starting to have a really big impact but it's, it's hard to tell how big mm -hmm. um i think about like the, the concentration of wealth and mm -hmm. the concentration of talent that's happening you know, and, and on the West Coast in particular, and um, it's not sustainable, you know, you're, you're, there's like, there's huge compromises that come when you consolidate wealth that much, like real estate prices make it impossible for, you know, Meow Wolf would never have survived in the Bay Area. Like, there's no way we could have survived there. Um, so, I, I don't know, I see like that decentralization is really like just where opportunity is. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's uh, there's a lot more of the world, and you can do amazing things in most of it. Like you don't have to be in one of those epicenters, mm -hmm. and it's really nice if for the right person. Like I I love Santa Fe. Like I love that from my bedroom right now. I can see like three different mountain ranges. Mm -hmm. Like and what that does for my mind, yeah. mm -hmm. for like my 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 peace of mind. Um, I love that it's like the the community itself has a, a very calm calm pace, mm -hmm. and if I want to go faster, mm -hmm. I can. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like that's what I have to do to meet everybody else. Like I don't know it, it, that that pace is like something that I personally love, but I like it to be a choice <laughs> instead of just like the world that I live in. Uh -huh. um, yeah. That's that's a really interesting point. Um, I want to kind of switch frames a little bit, uh, and you sure. don't have to go into this at all if you don't want to. But um, how have psychedelics or other entheogens played a part in your ability to create? Man, um, <laughs> so like, the, you know, for me, psychedelics have been such a uh, formative part of my life that it's like it's really hard to take them out mm. of any equation. Mm. Like I, my first experiences were when I was like 16. And that was also right when I first started to really connect with the kind of artist and creator in me. Mm. And I don't, I don't think those are coincidental, but I also don't think it's, it's causal where like, because I was doing mm. psychedelics, you know, that brought out the artist in me or something like, I think that that part of me 
was there and would have come out either way. But um, but there's definitely a, a huge relationship there in terms of just getting like, for one, just getting outside of yourself for a moment. Like just seeing the world in your life from a completely new perspective. It's so helpful as an artist because I think, like I think it's so hard for me to see what Meow Wolf means mm. when you're making a painting. Like it's so hard to see what you're making after you've been looking at the same thing for mm. 10 or 20 or 30 hours. Like you forget what this means to everybody else mm. or what it might represent. And um, psychedelics is such a good tool for just like kind of breaking open like all of those thought patterns and preconceptions and really just having like a, a new and unique perspective mm -hmm. on things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, for me, like they, they've been just a huge part of my life story and I'm so grateful that I learned how to have a relationship with, with them that is like super supportive and, um, and really helps me along the way in terms of like breaking down, structures, identities, mm. expectations that just don't have a purpose anymore. Like that's really at this point, like my primary relationship to psychedelics is through drinking ayahuasca, mm. um, which is something I've done in South America uh, a bunch of times and plan to continue mm. that practice. And for me, it's, it's, it's just about shedding my skin, like shedding old layers of myself that were totally beautiful and purposeful mm. or totally problematic, mm. doesn't matter. They, they, they're not serving me anymore. And it, like, it's time to just put that stuff down and make room for something new, mm. something more, more authentic. Um, yeah. I don't use them like, oh, I don't have an idea for this thing. So I'm going to like do some psychedelics and like, you know, mm -hmm. there, there isn't a one-to-one -one relationship mm -hmm. there between them and like creativity. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they help me be like more available and open mm -hmm. to that creative impulse. Yeah. And that, what you've just said reminds me a lot of what Jay Krishnamurti talks about, which is essentially we as human beings, especially be a lot, because of conditioning as children where the world is fundamentally uncontrollable and then as a child building an ego, we, we force our brains to control, to pretend to control our environment by doing certain behaviors and then they become our identity and our images and then through the practice of mindfulness but also through the practice of, of, of communicating with these, these, these substances, we can essentially um, recognize the importance of those identities and images, but then recognize that they ultimately are holding us back as well. Um, and they can hold us back. And so to kind of like right. take a break from these images and uh, identities. And then, and that's where I feel creativity comes from is, is it's in that break. It's, it's in the pauses in between the breath. It's in, it's when the mind has not forcefully reached a state of quiet, but the quiet descends on its own. Um, and that's where these hmm. ideas come from. And it's like, uh, it's in creative impulses and creative creativity spurs from this place of silence. Um, how would you, what is creativity to you? 
I had a, an amazing art teacher in high school who kind of like saved me. <laughs> like I was on a really dark path and she saw something in me and, and, um, and she taught me how to draw and paint and I ended up getting a great scholarship to an art school through basically by working directly with her. And, you know, she had, a, she put it really simply. She said creativity is connecting two dots that, that haven't been connected before. Mm. And I thought that was a really powerful and simple and insightful way to think about creativity. Mm. Um, I, but I don't necessarily like it's hard for me to put bounds on it either and say like this is what it is or isn't like I think that creativity is one of the markers of what is fundamentally human I think about like what this what this world what humanity what earth will look like in a hundred years and we'll be, we'll be way past the rise of automation and you know artificial intelligence at that point um and what is what is the value of humans if we don't need us for our labor anymore to keep the gears turning um and that's that's one of the only answers that i can think of is we we can synthesize we can we can create mm -hmm. um we have the ability to like take some information and project it into the future and ex and do these thought experiments and like try that potential out in our minds and kind of test it. Um, it's a, you know it's 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 essential to what human beings are. Um, that the it's yeah so, uh, the and it comes to the back to this this uh, a substance of spirituality as well is that and meditation mindfulness thought is that we are creating every minute of the day usually we are creating our anxieties our neuroses we're creating them in our mind and then with our mind right. um, and so that's what i love about mindfulness is that it allows me to peer into that process to see where i'm creating my own reality my own held um and then pull it back and see oh i've got this amazing creative aspect that is being mischanneled right now um, and that I can then bring it back to this essentially like quietness where creativity just kind of flows again. Um, that's yeah. Um, totally. It's really beautiful. Oh man. So we got about like maybe five minutes left. Um, where, where are you guys taking the owl for? What are the next big steps? What scale? What scale are we looking at? Are we looking at? <laughs> Hundred year scale, five year scale. Um, I think like the the immediate answer to that is you know we're we're we've proven that the concept works in Santa Fe, and we're scaling it into other markets. So we're going into Denver and Vegas right now, um, and planning on announcing two more cities this year. Um, so the, 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 the more immediate term is, you know, we're, we're basically building between these two exhibitions, Denver and Vegas, we're building over a hundred thousand square feet of immersive exhibition. Um, so that's a, that's a monumental wow. task in itself. 
But ultimately, like to zoom out, if I think about what is 20, 30 years from now, we're looking back and saying, wow, Meow really did something amazing or was really successful. What we're looking at is that we created a new model for how experience and art can be made for how artists can be gainfully employed and be able to live very like fulfilling creative lifestyles and like, and not, you know, suffer because of how their time is valued, which is so, you know, obviously pre prevalent right now. Um, and then I, and I, and then I think we're, we've built uh, a new audience for visual art that we've, we've connected a huge amount of people, you know, our audience, if you just stand in the lobby of our exhibitions, there's like no discernible, you know, divisions of those people. Like it's everybody like socioeconomic status, um, whatever divisions you might want to impose on any group of people, like they don't apply to our audience. It's kind of just everybody is coming through there and wants to experience this thing. And that tells me that fundamentally, like our premise was right. <laughs> that, that people just like cinema and literature and music and, you know, the culinary arts, theater, whatever pillars of culture, um, like the, the visual arts belong among those. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they just got lost. Like the art world just got lost along the way. And the audience left, you know? The audience was like, uh, this isn't for me anymore. Like, I don't have a relationship to this. Like, this is something that appears to be only designed for the super wealthy. Um, I have no efficacy over this. The ideas that are being distributed through this culture are like really weird and complex and I don't know how to relate to them because I didn't study art history. I don't know. I haven't been privy to that conversation throughout, you know, through art history. Um, they got lost, you know, and that doesn't mean that there can't be a relationship there. We're seeing that absolutely like people want to have a relationship to visual arts, to these kinds of experiences. Um, yeah, so if, if we're successful, that's, that's what we're doing is <laughs> we're creating those, uh, you know, we're creating those realities. Oh. And that's like what you're saying is that art is a fundamental art and creativity are a fundamental aspect of humanity. You know, you go back to thousands of years ago, we started painting on caves and everything like that. And it's just so wrapped up in this whole evolution of human consciousness. Uh, and now totally. and art was art was essentially taken by forces of, of, of historical forces that placed it in a certain eco socioeconomic strata. And now that seems to be decentralizing again. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, and I want to find out more about it. Uh, yeah, I hope it's, you know, I hope it's true for, for me, I will sake, but just for, for everybody's sake like i believe in it completely you know obviously we we wouldn't have spent all the blood sweat and tears that we did on this if, if we didn't believe in it but um yeah i'm excited to see 
I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to see who, who takes the model. Right. Like, Meow Wolf just absolutely isn't the right group to make all of the art in the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. When I say it out loud, it's like, obviously, it's super uh, absurd. But, like, I'm really excited to see other people take this model and make it relevant to them and their communities. And, and we'll keep doing our thing. And, you know, of course, I hope we're really successful in that. But, like, ultimately, if, if we are truly successful, we, we don't just do well with our work. We inspire other people um, to, to do well with theirs. Mm. And maybe one last thing, if there's one thing, book, idea, concept about how people can learn to become more creative or to remove the barriers that exist against their creativeness, what is one piece of advice, book, or thing you recommend people doing um, in order to remove these barriers towards creativity? Man, honestly, I think for me, it's really simple. Hmm. It's like, it's just feeding that part of yourself like if, if you're a musician it's like buy the tools you need to make music and 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 create time and space to do that like I don't think that's the one thing when I look at I, I know a lot of creatives and a number of them are like are further in their careers and are, and are successful and established and there's no like single thing that, that mm -hmm. defines like what make what prepares you for that, except that they all make time and space and, and feed that part of themselves. If it's paint, like buy the paint, if it's whatever your pursuit is, like you have to feed that and you, you have to give it what it needs to, to develop. Mm -hmm. And for most people, it's not about buying stuff. Mm -hmm. It's about time. Yeah. It's about like, just give yourself time to like to do something like, and if you, if you do like, it'll just come out. Like you don't have to do anything. It's just part of you. It just wants to be expressed. So just like give it a venue, just like literally give it time and space, whatever little bits of like material it needs. And that's it. That's, I mean, that's the hardest part I think for any like practicing creative is to just like keep keep fighting for that time in your life to do whatever it is that you love. Mm. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Corvus. This has been enlightening. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so good talking to you, man. It's just so much, so much love and respect for you. And uh, I hope to, I hope to keep working with you. I, I got so much out of the, the sessions we did when you were out here. Mm. I really did. Mm.